while police photographing our license plate. What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Good afternoon. This is the Reasonable Voices News Talk Radio Program, and I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. Can't wait to have a conversation with our two guests today. They're back. The Londras of New York. Linda and David Londra are back because I believe the love, lives, careers, and story of my two friends, Linda and David, inspire hope even in a time when schools and movie and Broadway theaters remain closed. So welcome back, Linda and David Londra. How are the two of you today? Good. We're doing fine, much. I'd like to talk to you again. Oh, yeah. I feel the same way. If you missed the May show, of course, it's a podcast, and you can always go on our website and hear it. But here's a little history of our guest today. In 1975, they created the Writers' Theater in NYC. That's New York for the rest of you. Dedicated to creating new work and adaptations from great literature for the stage, taking their opening production, The Gospel According to Mark Twain, to the Edinburgh Festival. They developed hundreds of new plays for nearly 20 years, and Writers Theatre continues today in Chicago. Linda and I have talked on radio before because she co-authored and directed My Own Stranger, adapting from the writings of Anne Sexton. The award-winning play ran off-Broadway prior to touring, and productions continue to this day. Seems like nothing ever stops once you start it, Linda. So, and of course, <laughs> I know Linda Londra as as well from our working together on NBC's Another World, where she produced and directed a stellar cast, dare I say, of characters. And maybe we'll talk more about that later. I don't know. We've got so much to talk about. And as for David... Well, we established in our last radio chat in May, agreed he and I passed each other like ships sailing in the sea of daytime television, <laughs> which which reminds me, by the way, we mentioned this before too, while I appeared only on four of New York's soap operas, David Londra worked on all six of the soap operas that tape in New York City. So, 
And by the way, he is an amazing photographer and voiceover talent. So once again, welcome Linda and David back to our show to share stories, laughs, and maybe even some professional advice. You know, let's start off with an easy one, Linda. I always hate it when interviewers ask, so how did it feel to be, but it's kind of like that. I'll try not to mention the word feel, but how, okay. tell us, okay. yeah, tell us about your time as a daytime Emmy nominee for Another World and All My Children. I mean, you know, everybody wants to know what goes on behind the scenes, but tell, well, you tell us. Well, it's always um, exciting when the Emmys are rolling around and the shows all vote and everybody is lobbying for their favorites and it's and the producers are trying to make sure that they get the people in that they want. So it's a lot of back, there's a lot going on backstage. And then finally, the nominees, and then you send in the ballots and the nominees are announced. And then you start planning the evening and who's going to go, because you can't take the whole cast, mm. but you certainly have to take I mean, as a producer, I'm speaking, you have to take the nominees and and uh, their guests. Although I don't think we did take the guests, because I don't think you ever went with me, did you, David? No, no. I no, I think it was just only, because again, it's very expensive, um, and it has to come out of the show budget. Um, and so we all go. Now, the first time is the most exciting thing in the world, because you're going, oh, I'm going to the Emmy Awards, I'm going to the Emmy Awards. <laughs> and then you face the mobs. And it feels like you're about to be mowed down. The fans are fierce. They are more fierce in daytime than any other. And everyone says this. All yes, of the actors will say this. The daytime fans are so much more loyal and fierce than any other fan base um, um, anywhere. Mm -hmm. And when the big one in New York that I remember, because I went to, I had to go every year. I remember in New York, we started at a hotel, uh, oh God, on 7th Avenue, and they put red carpet from the hotel down 7th Avenue across a street, <laughs> then across, across that block over to 6th Avenue and down to Radio City Music Hall. And wow. there were stanchions all the way and then some covered canopies for the photographers and get shots of the stars. It I was, you just did not want to be near one of the big stars. Because yeah. if you were, when the fans recognized they were coming, they would scream so loud, I had to keep myself from holding my ears. Yeah. Because it was so loud. They're unbelievable. and it, But loyal and wonderful, thank the Lord, they kept us on the air. Exactly. But it was quite the experience. And then you had to go into the theater. Well, we'd been to dinner and did all that. And then you go to, to the theater and you're in there for a few hours. So it's a very long evening. It's very exhausting, and uh, it's not all as thrilling as you might think. You see much more when you're watching on television. <laughs> um, yes, we we were nominees, nominees, so we were down front. But otherwise, they were some of them were way in the back. I thought, oh, go home. It's yeah. so much more humbling. <laughs> but it was thrilling, and uh, we were just. Uh, very honored to be acknowledged and by our peers that's always what's so lovely about it and um, as a producer and as a director uh, I was nominated multiple times and it was really lovely you feel acknowledged and, and heaven knows everybody likes that exactly of course so David you stayed at home and watched it on TV Oh, yes. I've never been a big fan of large crowds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but the, the, the nice thing, though, about uh, um, 
going to events with Linda was I never had to buy a, a tuxedo. Uh-huh. We, could, we could always just go down to the costume department and they would fit me up with something. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, as far as tux is concerned, that's what I always wore as Franco. You know, that was... Right. That was my my costume, and I loved it. I still love the uh, the promo photos from it, and keep them somewhere online. I'm sure. Anyway, yeah. you know, we're having fun, and we're going to continue to have fun. But I just this new normal we're dealing with. Yeah. Get your thoughts on it. It's many industries, and of course, and the people involved in them were hit really hard by what's going on now with the coronavirus, etc. But perhaps we in theater and television and film were the first to be hit by the lockdown. And according to the president of SAG after, we will probably, in all phases of the entertainment business, again, going back, uh, uh, David's comment of large crowds reminded me of this, will probably be the last to be completely reopened. So let's talk about, yeah. uh, David, you start for us. Uh, what do we tell people, especially those who just entered the business when this all happened, but what do we tell not only the actors and singers and dancers, you know, but the writers and the producers and the directors, all of it. What do we do? In, what do we do now to keep ourselves artistically fit, among other things? Well, wouldn't wouldn't it be great if I could actually answer that question? <laughs> but I, I think there, I think we have to. I think we're if you're, you know, artists are sort of continually reinventing themselves. Well, that's kind of what we have to do now, but mm. not so much ourselves as as how we work. Yes. You know, we have to take the new tools that are at hand, whether it's Zoom or FaceTime or those kinds of things, Facebook Live, take those new tools and make them the path through, you know, that we that we tread and on the uh, trying to do our very our art forms. I don't know what else there is, but Certainly, as long as we can communicate with each other and as long as there are tools that we can use, we will find a way. It's just slowly starting to emerge. Uh, neighbors of ours, uh, just a couple doors down, really a delightful couple, just did production of Tartuffe uh-huh. that they did online. They did it on uh, on Zoom. The, I forget the name of the company that they were that they were with, but they, it was reviewed in the New York Times, and they really made a very interesting uh, stab at this. How do we do this play in this new environment? And uh, they were really quite successful at it. Well, they had Raul Esparza on the, in the cast, which helped. Mm-hmm. Um, he's rather a celebrity in in the theater world, and so he they I think that helped them get that review. But it was so interesting to see them do it, and I think that I would like to jump in here and say because I've given a lot of thought to this because David and I teach, and we're trying yes. to figure okay, what is the future of teaching? What is the future of uh, of our industry? Because it is going to change. It is yes. changing now and yes. will continue to do so and I think we most every actor I talk to when we talk about doing the research and, and taking the trip and doing whatever you have to do to find out about your character about your role, about the director about the, the location where you're shooting, to find out information and now you have all the time in the world to do research, so mm. I think every actor everybody in the business should be doing all of the research they never have time to do any other time yes. and then they should put it to work and create projects like this young company, uh, Raul was the big star and got them attention, which was brilliant on their part. And but they did it. They did it 
the way they had to in quarantine and with and Zoom, and they got help, and it came out well. They did they did Tartuffe, and they did before that another Moliere. Was it Doctor and Spider himself? Anyway, they did number. They did at least a couple shows, and are planning another. And we're learning from our students. They're creating bod- podcasts. They're yes. creating work that they can present on. The, in, on the on the internet, mm-hmm. so webisodes, just like we're doing right now with you, a podcast, and do, but creating shows, creating things that they can that can be uh, seen in the internet world with the technology of today, and I think it's just going to force a huge step forward in the technology that we have all come to sometimes dread and sometimes mm-hmm. love. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I if think if anybody is interested in seeing the. Uh, the production. The, the company uh, is called Moliere in the Park. And if you go to MolièreInThePark.org, I believe you can still stream the performance if you would be interested in seeing how they managed to accomplish this. Thank you, David. For I was going to. Uh, I was hoping. I'm not at all surprised that while Linda was talking, you went off and got that information. But I'm glad you did because <laughs> you know because I do want people to. I, I've just been asked to do a what will be my first streaming show I think on on Zoom I believe and I told them I couldn't talk about it until after today because everything's been so busy up until this but but they're going to start rehearsing again all of us in different locations and then we we do it and it's it will be it will be streaming somewhere I'll let you know when I know more about it <laughs> but you know That's it's fantastic it, well yes thank you and and that's why I stress the new normal because the whole thing and you you sort of touched on this as well Linda is that the we think something is you know one day coronavirus will be over and then everything is going to go back to the way it was and I honestly think no this is the new normal and people who jump on to how the different ways not that I, I not that I don't want Broadway open of course you know and and back on the sets of film and TV shows but did you hear me Steven of Spielberg course. but this needs to be incorporated this whole new way of presenting the arts and opportunities for the talent to produce them, I think it's here to stay and I think it should be. What do you think about that with a guy with gray hair? <laughs> uh, no, I agree with you. I agree yes. with you. I think ultimately this may disperse the, uh, to a broader base the people who are, can produce and who are able to produce. Yes. I think there's a lot of very talented actors and performers who have a lot of drive and a lot of determination and while previously they might not have thought of uh, of uh, producing as a an outlet now i think that they that they will be so we could see i think we will see an awful lot of production springing up all over the place i certainly hope so yes i just want to insert that we have talked to some students during this time and i keep saying what are you doing what are you doing because they all think well i don't know how yes it doesn't yes you do yes. you know you just have to do it and you'll learn and do it and you'll learn and we keep saying do something every day pick up a magazine and do some commercial copy mm. do something every day that's gonna because that's what people do who i mean look at Lynn manuel Moran. Yes. Do you think that guy has any downtime? No, <laughs> not a moment. 
that's what people who work all the time do. Yes. They never stop working. And we have been given, I think we have to look at this as horrible as it is, of course, but we still have to approach it as an opportunity to learn and grow and stretch ourselves to do something more. And I just hope they should take your class. They should take, they should study. They should, after you have this, and writers should be writing new material, trying yes. new things, watching stuff that's being programmed. There's so much now already being done on television in Zoom form, one form or another. It mm -hmm. changes every time you see it. Yes. There's a lot to learn and growth for us to, to take, and we must do it. And I think everything, everything that happens to us, every experience is an opportunity to walk away defeated or to grasp it and make something out of it. There's always a lesson in it, as you're saying. There's always something to yeah. learn to help us grow if we see it as that. I mean, I hate to sound as corny right. as a half full glass as opposed to a half empty, but it is. It is that. Oh, we, definitely. Yeah. And on the research, I have to say, and I know I've mentioned this to you in emails, but I, for years, people have said, because I've been, I was quite a script doctor for many years in, in New York, and people would always say, why don't you write your own script? I mean, you know, you always make these, and people, and other writers would come up when they'd see the shows and say, we recognize your lines, Marcello, those were great. But, so, here I am, with time on my hands, right? I wrote a book to right? a musical. I have a friend in New York, a composer I've directed a number of times. He sent me about, oh, I'd say 20 or 30 songs. I've always loved his music, and and now he's doing the lyrics as well. And he asked if I could make a book musical out of it. And I did, and it's been submitted to a Tony Award-winning producer in New York. And I never would have done Bravo. that if I didn't have the time. You know what I mean? I Here I am. Bravo. <laughs> yes. I'm alone at home with, with the dogs and the computer. And and it just it just it it just so I mean it just still surprises me because I thought because you know when you hear all the time you should do you should do you should do and then finally you do it you wonder what the heck was I waiting for yeah boy is that the truth <laughs> you just have to to, to uh, take the bull by the horns or whatever you know, whatever cliche we yeah. want to put on it but you just have to do it that's all it is and it's not all it's it's work and yet why not yes we can sit around and 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 bemoan the past or we can get excited and and push toward the future and i think even at our age we have to think that way yes and because everyone's in the same boat. I mean, all of the schools are trying to reinvent themselves mm. and how many classes can they do and how are they going to social distance and can they bring them back in the room or not? Everybody's facing the same questions yes. and there have to be solutions and we're all inventive, creative people. We can find them and yes. we will. Yes. All right. We're going to take a short break, but when we come back, I want to start out, Linda, and you help me remember this, David. I want to start out with something I know you mentioned to me in our exchanging emails over the months, but you said there's work most actors don't know about and and work waiting to be discovered by actors. I I don't know if you remember writing that to me, but it, I went when I read it, I went, okay, where is it? 
<laughs> anyway, we're gonna we're gonna take a break I'll now. Some of that, please. Yes. <laughs> we'll take I'll a break now. We're we're going to be right back with David and Linda Laundrum, my wonderful friends, the incredible also professional theater, television and film professionals, experts and loving and happy and, and sharing the fun of life in a long marriage. Stay with us, we'll be right back. I think that what you're doing is great, Marcello. You know, being cooped up, being quarantined, it gets to you after a while. And you need an upbeat voice to let you know that that life goes on, that things will be okay. Even with Linda and I, we've been together for almost half a century now. And for a lot of that time, we work together as well. We teach together. We're together literally 24-7. But still, there's times when it gets to you and when you need somebody to, to help perk you up a little bit. So I want to thank you for taking the time to do that. Oh, also, I'd like to put in a plug for an organization called uh, Invisible Hands. Invisible Hands will find someone, will find a volunteer in your neighborhood who can come and make that run to the drugstore for you or get you that thing from the grocery store that you need. They're really a wonderful organization. Um, We support them. I hope that uh, other people will, too. Whether you want to support people who are helping out New Yorkers or whether you're somebody who needs that helping hand every now and then. Uh, Invisible Hands, good group. Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices News Talk Radio program. Unfortunately, our segment two was interrupted by severe weather, having a negative impact on the audio of the first 14 minutes of this segment. But because of the upbeat professional advice regarding career options during a pandemic, our guests, Linda and David Londra and I, persevered. So please stay with us, especially as the second 14 minutes all is well again with our audio quality. Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices News Talk Radio program. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, and my guests today are theater, film, television, directors, producers, voiceover, and that's all two people, my good friends from New York City, Linda and David Londra. Here to share straight from the heart, as Linda was just saying to me during the break, and, and truthful and honest and helpful, so... Linda once wrote me something about there's a lot of work out there left for actors to discover. And who knows, it was months ago that she wrote it, but it really struck me. So forget trying to say what you were talking about months ago. Just talk about that. What do you think, Linda? I think it's all about opportunities and seizing opportunities. But also, I just want to say that working as an actor and finding work as an actor is a perpetual problem or challenge as you, during your whole lifetime. Because getting work as an actor, you have to look at it as a marathon, not a sprint. Yes. There's a lot of work to go through, and as you, for instance, and David can address this better than I, as an actor on camera or on stage, there are places to go for casting sessions and listings, and there are casting directors, and there are books about it, and there are bookstores about it, and it's, there's a lot of, there are a lot of places to get information. I think actors don't know how to use that information, and for instance, 
voiceover work, people just think of it as, oh, the voice in over a commercial or a voiceover in a, a short piece on TV or film or something, you know, a, they just think it's very, they think of the obvious and don't go beyond that into the huge world of voiceover work, of doing games, of doing video game voices, of doing character voices, of doing, David, you can talk about that, there's so much more, and I should say, in the list, David is an actor, and he was an actor first. That's how we met, as both of us were. I'm not an actress, but he is, and he has carried that into his work in voiceover and other things. So go ahead, David. I'm sorry about the voiceover. (laughs) Well, obviously, in this this time, voiceover is a really good opportunity for a lot of actors because it's something that you can do at home. When I started doing voiceovers, it was just something you did in the studio, always. You would go, you would do the audition in the studio, or sometimes in, in an agent's office. But then when you got the job, you would go to a studio to record the, whatever it is you were working on. Well, some very high-end materials might be done in the studio, but the vast majority of all voiceover work now is done from home. You get a microphone and a, a DAW or a, a digital audio workstation, which is a simple piece of software. Some of it's free, and uh, you can work. There's a lot of stuff out there. There's everything from you know, the, the telephone uh, work, you know, to reach John, uh, press five, uh, those kinds of things. Uh, there's just a tremendous variety of stuff out there that you don't usually think of. Business and industry use voiceovers all the time, every day, yes. for stuff that uh, you don't really think of. It's not just commercials or character work, although that can be some of the more fun stuff. Yes. David did one for a, just a garage. A friend of ours, she had to get her car fixed and she went to this place she'd go to and they got a new system, a new phone, and they needed an announcer to to, to answer the phone. And she called David and said, can you do that for them? And he said, sure. So he did, There, and nobody would think about pursuing that. And yet, it used to be called the Ross Reports and now it's called the call sheet it, by areas. They're in New York, it's Atlanta, it's Chicago, it's Los Angeles, it's all across the country. And they list agents and casting directors and areas of work all for actors, and that includes voice work. So if you look up the voice work, and again, actors don't even think of doing that. They look up voice possibilities and, and sources and casting jobs, and there are things there. And that's the kind of work I was, I think, referring to that actors don't even consider well, and it's not pursuing. Just, it's not just voiceovers. There is a lot of commercial work now that people are shooting in their home. Yes. You've seen them probably already. It'll look like a Zoom conference because that's becoming so common. The commercial industry is adopting that and using it in commercials. But there's also, you can do a lot of commercials deal with families and home situations, and actors can do that in their own home, you know, without the usual production company and the, the crew and all of that kind of stuff. And there's going to be more and more of it as they try to figure yes. out how do we make this work? Yes. How do we do the commercials that we need to do given the situation that they're in? And the people are coming up with, uh, with interesting possibilities. I have just in the, the month of June had three auditions 
all via self-taping, and all of them were for productions that are going to be done online. So this business, the entertainment business, film, television, TV, etc., radio, voiceover, whatever, is going to move forward. We need to all accept the fact that it's going to move forward, change somewhat. Maybe not completely. We don't, like I said, we don't want Broadway theaters to be shut down forever, but we're adding something. Let's put it that way. What do you think, Linda? Absolutely. It's the wise person who acknowledges that the world is changing. It's like when talkies happened. Yes. People thought, that will never go. Talkies and never talkies, of course, happened. And when you look at every stage of development, and when television started and it was all done multi-camera, it was all soap opera style, multi-camera shooting, mm-hmm. and look what it has evolved to. They're yes. doing movies on television now, and it just keeps going. Nobody ever considered stopping before. Why should we stop now? Exactly. And there's virtually no line anymore between television and film. Yeah. They are virtually the same thing. Yeah. And it used to be that you had one talent pool that was available to you for movies, but a totally other talent pool that was available for television. And there wasn't that much crossing over. Mm -hmm. You were a big film star, you didn't do TV shows. But that's all changed. It's now really become a much more homogenized situation than it ever was before. Linda, tell us a bit about, you have a friend who became a soap opera director and producer, and he started out as an intern. Great mind, Sartella. I was just thinking about (laughs) internships, because we had talked briefly about that at one point, and I thought, that is an area as well, that a lot of actors will say to me, oh, well, I I don't want to do that, that's a non-paid job, or, oh, I'm a professional, I'm trained. It's like, get over yourself. (laughs) Absolutely, you want to be an intern. This friend of mine worked with our theater company. He was a director, still is. He was on our board. He wanted to do daytime television. He pursued it. He went straight to Procter and Gamble, who produced uh, four soap operas, I think four soap operas in New York City at least. Yes. They used to do. They were the only people they created soap operas. He went straight to Procter and Gamble and told him of his interest, and he took an internship. And he and he, I don't know if he asked them or they asked him if he would do it. And he said yes. The answer is always yes. Yes. He became an intern on a show called Texas. And he was, he of course did his job as the intern. He was very good at it. And when they told him his day was, they gave him hours that you interns have hours of working. When he was done, he would then go to the studio floor or he would go to another department and learn that job, learn how that was done. And he was so insistent and so present that the executive producer noticed him and said, ask him what he wanted to do. And he said, direct. Mm -hmm. And not long after, after that, they let him start observing the directors mm-hmm. when he was done with his internship. And then he became a director on that show. Then he moved to another show as a director and a producer. And then he was in the Times, they quoted and said, I quote the Times, they said, he was the wonderkind of daytime. Yes. He moved from show to show to show and excelled on every single one and won Emmys and was an extraordinary talent. And then he, as soon as he accomplished all of that, he fortunately got me involved early on uh, and helped me start a career. And then he went to California and started directing sitcoms and became a very established director there and a producer. And now he's working in Hollywood as a producer and director. It all started because he interned. 
Actors don't consider that as a real possibility, and I think they should, and see it as an opportunity, not as a lowly position, but make something of it. And I just, I can't stress it enough how valuable it is. Again, at Williamstown, now going back to Writer's Theater days, for those who are theater addicts, Tom Fontana was on our board at Writer's Theater, and he worked at Williamstown as a casting director for Nico Sakharopoulos, who founded the theater. And he ran all of the casting sessions, and he had eventually then had interns that worked for him. And his one of his interns was this guy who was on our board who became the Wonder Kid of Daytime. Yes. Another intern was Joko Amonik, who is an extremely established actor on television and stage and film and has been nominated for multiple Tonys and Emmys. Mm. And Joko was an intern. Actors who are serious about working in the industry offer themselves up to be interns, offer to do readings for casting directors to do auditions, offer to work for agencies, and they learn from that experience, and sometimes it really works to get them in the door. I just want to put in a plug for readers. Be a reader. If you get the opportunity to read for auditions, do it. Yes. You will learn so much from watching all of the other actors come in. You'll see what works, what doesn't work. You'll see some incredibly dumb things that some actors do and some brilliant things that other actors do. Yes. It's a wonderful place to learn. If you get that opportunity, do it. And it will change your audition experience for your entire career, I assure you, because I did yes. that. I don't know if I've ever told you guys, my first experience on Another World was as an extra. I don't know if you know that, Linda, I don't know. But I, I was, didn't know. I was called in to be an extra. I, I remember it was the first time I met Linda Dono. It was a, a courtroom scene or something, and they put me beside her and a couple of other of the stars. And I was sort of always put in nice positions. I didn't know why. And I asked one day why, and they said, well, because you always do what we ask you to do. <laughs> Well, anyway, well, what that led to, the the real point of this story, to to join in on what you're saying, is that I would say a few months in, I got a call from a Kathy. I can't remember her last name because there were two Kathys, but Kathy called me in and said she was leaving to do illustrations for, for a book, I believe. And she wanted to introduce me to the new casting director. Now, you know, casting directors don't generally call in extras to introduce them to the new casting director. But anyway, she never, never, exactly. So anyway, so she introduced me. So I come in and and it's the next Kathy. And I said, did you want me to audition? And she said, oh, no, no, no. I've watched you on the show. And I'm going... I sat, I walked, I crossed. I, she said, you take direction very well. You know what I mean? Well, then a few yes. months after that, I got a call from the new Kathy who said, Marcello, we have this new role coming up on Another World. If you're interested in it, I won't, you know, I won't go through the audition process. And so, you know, I took all of six seconds, maybe. Try to play hard to get. And, and then, you know, and then, and then that led to like years and years of being Franco on Another World. And it all started from not just being an extra, but doing what they told you to do, I guess. Well, I often tell our students, as a producer, one of my most important jobs was to be invisible on the set and try to, to troubleshoot problems. So if I saw a problem, I could fix it before it became before it shut down production. And one of the things was watching actors, because often actors who don't have anything to do particularly, as they see it, 
will start misbehave on the set uh-huh. and be distractions or not be contributing to the overall picture of what we're shooting and where we are. And you always made tops, that restaurant that you were the major DN, you always made tops a classy place. And we that's what we wanted. And you were always professional and, and dignified and respectful. And that's what we want, always. And a lot of actors diminish themselves by not being who they really are. And you were. And we all appreciate it. My goodness. Well, thank you. Thank you. I I, uh, <laughs> I I didn't tell the story for that, but I certainly appreciate with what you what you said. I and I loved it. You know, and that was the thing. And again, another uh, we have some great stories, I know, but one that Linda recently told me, and I hope she doesn't mind repeating it because it was a wow experience for me. Tell us, Linda, if you don't mind, about your call from Katherine Hepburn. <laughs> oh, I'd be delighted to. <laughs> I was bold enough in my young years to actually option a play for Broadway with a partner, and it was the playwright remains one of my favorite to this day. His name is Jose Lopez Rubio, and he is a treasure in Spain. He is uh, marvelous, and we got his translator became very close friends of ours, and we optioned this play for Broadway. Mm-hmm. So we were very excited and we sent it to Ellis Rabb who was I think is has always been one of the finest theater directors we ever had mm-hmm. and he loved it he said to me don't lose this play for me Linda and I went okay I'll try <laughs> and, <laughs> and he said I want you to send it to Catherine Hepburn I went oh my god <laughs> um, and he said just tell her I said to read it and I said okay I will so I sent it to her, and... No, she didn't send it to her. She gave it to me, and I had to go over and drop oh, it off right. at her town. <laughs> <laughs> and then run. <laughs> yes, David went over. And about, it was like, it was only three or four days later. Oh, not even. It was like 8, 8, 30 or 9 o'clock in the morning. It was the weekend. Linda was still in bed, <laughs> and the phone rang, and it was Catherine Hepburn. Okay. Calling to talk to Linda, so I got to go in and wake her up and say, Linda, Linda. Catherine Hepburn's on the phone. <laughs> to which I said, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she said, no, no, it's Catherine Hepburn. And I took the phone. I could hardly, I, I, could, I thought it was a joke. I really didn't believe it until I heard her voice. Yes. And I nearly fainted dead away. And we chatted briefly about the play and how much she really loved it. But she was elderly. I mean, she was up in years then. Uh-huh. And she said, I'm doing a show on Broadway right now, like I didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> and she said, I have to get through this one before I can commit to anything afterward. Yes. But she said, how sweet it was of you to think of me. Wow. I just... I was blown away. And she did come to our theater once, and again, we were all blown away. Yes. Just to have her in the room. She was she was just remarkable. And she was just what you'd expect. She came to see Pat Carroll in Gertrude Stein, Gertrude Stein, Gertrude Stein, oh. which they ran for a year. It was funny because uh, everyone was excited that she was there. But down at the province town, there's no way to get on stage. There's no steps nor anything. So... The show finished, and Kate was she was going to go back and see Pat. So she goes down to the front of the house, yes. and she looks left, and she looks right, and nothing. So she just climbs up <laughs> on the stage and, and goes tromping back so that, that she can say hello to Pat. 
Oh, wow. Pretty extraordinary moment. Well, and you and I share stories about, was it Julie Harris? Well, Julie Harris, or... yes, but uh, Celeste Holm. Oh, Celeste. Uh, yes. yes. I, that, and that all goes back, and you'll love this, because it goes back to a new play. It was a, it was a new script. It was brought to me by an 83-year-old playwright, amazing talent, and he wrote a letter of recommendation, and I can't remember all the names, but the, his last line was something like, and I've worked with directors, and he listed off all of these named people, and then ended with, and Marcello is right up there with them. And I thought, holy smoke. If I find it, I'll send it oh, to you. Oh, how nice. But, but the point is, the play was The Other Bed, and we did it a number of times, different places in Florida, including the Broward Center. And It had been chosen, it won a prize, and on the board of choosing who won the prize were both Julie Harris and Celeste Holmes. And so I don't know what it was. I don't, I don't know why I called them. Maybe the playwright told me or whatever. I did call them. And the really fun thing with Celeste Holmes is that she picked up the phone. She answered the phone oh, and, yeah. and, and said yes. And then I explained who I was and why I was calling. She remembered the play. And, and we had a great conversation about her take on the play, which was very interesting. But it led to a series of calls where we discussed everything from things I can't say what she said about Touched by an Angel or some people in the cast of Touched by an Angel. But if you talked with her, you can just imagine. I mean, it was marvelous. It was a great thing. And and Julie Harris became, I think I connected with her before I met the playwright because that was when I was living in New York and she did a one-woman show. And I think I've told you guys this one before. I, I wrote her a note. She was so fabulous. And she called me. You know? So always include your phone number. You never know. Absolutely. Well, both of those women were significant. We we had quite a... We were very proud and very thrilled to have a lot of them on our advisory board for the theater. Yes. And Celeste definitely was. And she would she would occasionally show up and with no warning. And we, of course, have to scramble to make sure we got her a good seat. Not that that would be that hard in our little theaters, but sometimes. But she, it's not exactly, it's totally funny, but... She and Wesley Addy, her husband, who we adored, and Wesley did readings with us as well, Celeste and Wesley, and a woman that was, this is all kind of, I hadn't thought about this story in so long, a teacher of mine in college wrote a play about being in vaudeville, and the central character, which was her, of course, as a child, but she, then she grew up, but the central character she tailored to Celeste. And so we got the play to Celeste. So, of course, Celeste became one of our best friends. Yes. Because we had <laughs> this play being written for her. And she came and she did multiple readings of it. And Wesley was always there. And he was such a, a lovely man. And when Wesley died, we were all very sad. Mm. And uh, Tom Fontana, who was successful at that point, and the rest of us were not yet. And successful meaning we could make a living. Yes. And he said, asked me, he said, Linda, would you come with me up to the actor's home where Wesley was at the end of his life? And I said, oh, of course, I'd be delighted. So he got a car and they drove us up to Connecticut, I think it was. I'm mm-hmm. not even sure now. And Celeste was there. And from that day forward, Celeste could not get it out of her head that Tom and I were married. And I kept saying, no, 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 uh-huh. no, 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 no. He's married to Sagan. I'm married to David. Yes. And she couldn't get it straight in her mind because the truth was Tom and I were the 
spokespeople for the theater. Tom and I were always the people out front, uh-huh. and that's the way she wanted it. Yeah. <laughs> so, and you know, Celeste, she wants things the way she wants them. Yes. Now, quite opposite from her was the lovely Julie Harris, yes. who when she first walked off the elevator at, at um, oh, David, help me. Like the theater guild, or? No, the, the most famous theater restaurant in the business on Broadway. Sardi's. 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 Yes. When we had the, we did the benefit. We did a right. benefit. Vincent Sardi was very supportive of our theater. Yes. And Vincent let us have a benefit there. And we had all these celebrities. Celeste was there. And Julie came off the elevator, and we hadn't known her very long. And they came and got me and said, Linda, you have to go get Julie Harris. She's terrified. And I went, why? And they just said, go get her. So I went over and introduced myself. And she was terrified. Mm. She was not good in crowds at all. Mm -hmm. So I had to sit her with the other celebrities and people she knew so she felt a little more comfortable kind of mirroring that story is a Helen Hayes story. Oh, I was when going to we say yes. The... I'm sorry? I, I was going to say yes. I mean, Helen Hayes was very much like that, too. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Yes, she was. And we, but Helen Hayes became such an enormous star because she was Disney movie. So she was not only brought the first lady of the American theater, but she was also in, in, in movies and television and especially the Disney movies. Yes. And I remember being in Alaska from one of these cruises and we would all get off the ship together, the, our company, and Miss Hayes was the biggest celebrity we had. Mm-hmm. And she, little kids would, they unconsciously would just stampede her. <laughs> and she was a very small yes, woman. very tiny. And she would come for me because I have always been a very large woman and I would tuck her under my arm and scoot her through the crowd so that she felt safe to get off the ship and that became our relationship. I became her protector and it was just delightful. She was such a sweet, gracious woman. There's a story with everybody. Those were two very iconic women of the theater that we got the great pleasure of getting to know before they left us. Yeah. Um, Celeste, every now and then, at, at the Theater Guild also, because, you know, Celeste had done work for the Theater Guild on stage, and as a matter of fact, she, uh, Oklahoma, she was in Oklahoma. That yeah. Was yeah. One of their, uh-huh. and so she and Armina Marshall knew each other, and Armina was another one who was an, an amazing woman to know because she had so much history in the theater. I had always thought of like George Bernard Shaw. This was, he was like a figure from history. Well, Armani used to go swimming with Shaw. You know, they, they were great buddies. And it suddenly it, it sort of brought him into the present for me, close to a historical figure. Well, yeah. it collapsed all of theater history suddenly yeah. as we sat at the Theater Guild, who changed the face of American musical with Oklahoma and there we were with our they gave us a little office for our theater company and we provided them with labor you know new people new actors would come through the door and they would be talking about when you got off the elevator on the eighth floor there was a life-size portrait of Catherine Hepburn doing uh doing Shakespeare what was she doing Midsummer maybe as you like it as you like it yeah so you you were greeted by this uh, (laughs) life-size photograph of uh, Catherine Hepburn one story I'm going to tell. I I went to an audition for Search for Tomorrow. It tells you how long ago. 
and um, oh, yes. and the air conditioning wasn't working. The place that was, you know, just crowded. They had chairs around the outer office with the receptionist, and and every seat was filled with an actor who wasn't coming and going to practice or whatever. I'm sorry if I told you this before, but it, because it's a story no. I've told to students a, a lot as a lesson. I didn't think I was doing anything particularly going the extra mile or anything, but I wanted to step out into the hall because I don't do heat very well and practice my lines in the hall. And I asked the receptionist if I could get her a drink of water. They had water, a fountain or something out there, but uh, she couldn't leave the phone, of course. And she she said, yes, please, that would be great. And I bring back the water, boom, boom. <gasps> That's the first Kathy. Yes. No! That's the first Kathy. No! Fabulous. Uh, two years Brilliant. later. Two years later. I'm, oh, it's all story. coming together now. Two years later, I'm teaching TV acting at uh, Collier Casting, and I get this call, and the woman says, Hi, Marcello, this is Kathy, whatever her last name was. Yes, and she said, I know you don't remember me. No, and she said, Well, <laughs> two years ago, you auditioned for Search for Tomorrow. She said, I was the receptionist, and you got a glass of water for me which I had no memory of. And she told me what I've just told you. And she said, and I just wanted to let you know, I'm now casting for NBC's Another World. And I wonder if you'd like an audition. Oh, that's a great story. I what mean, a great story. Yeah, from a glass, and, and, from and a cup a, of water. Yeah, uh, it's a great lesson in this business. You, yes. You really, you know, that you need to be to be friendly, to be pleasant, to be professional all the time because you have no idea, you never know you never when know. this person or that person down the line is going to be the one that, you know, that, that you need. The old expression, you probably heard me say it before, but there's really only a hundred people in the business. The rest is all done with mirrors. Yes. So yeah, you're, going to, <laughs> you're going to run into these people again and, and again, again and again. And from that, always when I've taught actors, I've always said, I have yet to meet a receptionist working, certainly in show business, that wants to be a receptionist all their life. They're doing exactly what Linda was talking about earlier, and that is learning yes. as much as they can about the casting industry because they want to go up the ladder in casting. And yeah. that was an example of it. We should run. Thank you so very much. We've been talking to my good friends and professional buddies and wonderful TV, film, and acting and voiceover couple, Linda and David Londra. It's been marvelous. We've enjoyed it and hope you enjoyed it as much as we have. And we're wishing them all, all right, the very Marcella. best. Great fun. Thank you. Thank you. Bye now. Bye-bye. This is so much fun. I love working with the fabulous Marcello Rolando with me on the other side of the camera, or microphone in this case. For years, Marcello was a splendid addition to the cast of Another World on NBC. He was the owner, manager, man in charge of Tops, our swanky restaurant in Bay City. And as a producer and director on the show, I got to see him more often than most and was thrilled to have him on board. I depended on him to take charge, which he did with a plum. Our cast, including the lovely Linda Dano, Stephen Schnetzer, Charles Keating, all remarked how special he was to have there. He made everyone, regular cast members and guest actors alike, feel special and welcome. Marcello adds a touch of class to whatever he does, and we were thrilled to have him with us on our show for such a long time. He is so thoughtful now to reach out to his peers for a conversation about how we're all surviving this pandemic. 
It's a challenge, but with each other's help and support, we will survive with more stories to tell. Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, The Reasonable Voice, thanking you for joining us in becoming one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Missing you and us, too. There was little reason for my grandmama to leave her huge farm to go into town a few miles away for groceries, gasoline, farm equipment, overalls, and newspapers. Now I only go back for the funerals and do hear on the breeze what I've missed. I'm not into romanticizing the past. Believing things, for the most part, are always improving, until G.W. and Cheney, of course— as long as what's new doesn't obliterate what's been with what's coming round the bend. I don't miss Mayberry or my slumlord friends on Shelter Island, but I do miss New York City neighborhoods, walking city blocks, and being constantly in rehearsals for something. I miss Gypsy and Heinrich, best and worst watchdogs respectively. Don't miss Dad and Mom so much as it still feels like they're here. But I do miss people who trim their trees back from power lines, so when the winds come, we keep our A.C. I miss hailing a yellow cab for Carol Channing, strolling Midtown with Colleen Dewhurst, and chatting with James Whitmore about the next voice you hear. He said I was too young to have seen it, but while other boys my age were outside playing ball, I was watching old movies on TV. Mr. Whitmore was so proud of the fact that he had made the movie with Nancy Reagan before she met Ronnie. But I told him I would never forget what it felt like when God spoke to him on his radio. I miss that. I miss taking time to tune up with morning prayers and reel-to-reel -reel Gregorian chant. I don't miss fast cars and curvy roads, for that's still how I relax. I miss Jimmy Stewart and Harvey. Yul Brenner and the American Original Six. Gregory Peck, whom Mom told, my son is an actor too. I never miss Florida, except when I think of hurricanes 250 miles offshore pinning me against the lifeguard chair, streaking back my hair with beach sand, my lips rimmed like a margarita glass, and the ocean some distance away lapping occasionally at my toes, as a seagull above makes no headway because of headwinds. I miss the silence that can only be heard without the din, and I miss people who understand the wisdom in that. I miss Marvine's white boots as much as our drama classes. I miss my voice lessons with Wayne and Ernie, and both the Peabody and Baltimore Opera in the days of George Woodhead and Bill Januzzi, the only man who smoked more cigarettes than my 61-year-old brother, just diagnosed with the lungs of an 80-year-old. I miss him already. For me, missing is more happy memories than sad longing. But I do miss not seeing my best friend Lance Thomas Vining. However, I don't miss the Silver Diner, his favorite dining choice. I do miss my annual trips to Europe, but it was a wonderful career that suspended them, so we make our choices. I miss dates on letters even to find telephone numbers on bills, and I miss sleeping more than five hours a night. But most of all, I miss who we were in the sixties. I miss Abraham, Martin, and John, and Bobby, too. Join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Thank you. 
Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Website. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard around the world. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.